Grace, mercy, and the peace that Easter brings be and abide with you this day as we celebrate that Christ is risen. I'm glad my family is here and responding to that with the he is risen indeed, hallelujah part. And I, I know many of you probably in your homes are jumping up off your couch and you're maybe shouting that loud enough that your neighbors can hear you even though that on this misty morning your windows are probably closed. That is what we celebrate today. We celebrate that Jesus is raised. Through this Lenten season, we've been in a, a series on our midweek services called Till the Garden. We've walked through different scenes and we visited gardens in the Bible, uh, the setting for biblical events and different stories, even a parable um, and a song in, in Isaiah chapter 5 where there's a garden or we kind of borrowed a vineyard uh, as an agricultural space and um, talked about what happened in these gardens. We lived in Ohio back in, well, that's where I grew up, in the southwest Ohio in Cincinnati. And um, the first house that we bought was uh, in Cincinnati. It was about, oh, probably 10 minutes from the house where I had grown up. And we had a couple of acres there. And we loved having that property, and it was, uh, it was, it was a great place. Um, it was big enough that we could plant a garden. And so... Um, one spring, I borrowed my grandpa's rototiller, and I took it back to this flat space. There was a shed right next uh, to this flat area. It was the perfect layout for a garden, and I spent probably half a day with that rototiller just turning the soil over. It had probably been a garden at some point, but had just kind of gone back to natural uh, over some years. And so I was tilling it and turning over the soil and preparing it for seeds that I wanted to plant. And, and preparing that soil and spending that time and the, the smell of, of freshly turned soil. There's something very unique about it. And, and there's something, for me at least, um, kind of cathartic about, about getting my hands dirty about being outside, about dealing with uh, plants and earth and agricultural things that uh, I really enjoyed. It was a good day. So I had all the soil prepared, and I planted seeds in that soil, and then, and then I waited. Through this season of Lent, we've been, we've been preparing ourselves. We've been kind of laying the groundwork. The, the series title has been Till the Garden. And we've used that as kind of a play on words for the preparation, but also the word till meaning until, until the garden. So we're kind of in this place where we've prepared and we've, we've gotten ready. We've even planted seeds and we've waited. And now, now comes the harvest. Now comes the benefit. Now we see the fruit. To understand how this garden scene that we see today, uh, the garden tomb, to understand that scene and how it stands above the rest, we prepared the soil and planted seeds starting a few weeks ago with paradise and then paradise lost. See, God created a garden. The Garden of Eden, it's identified in Scripture. He made all of it. God, uh, Genesis chapter 1 talks about how God created in 
in just six days and rested on the seventh day. And he created everything to be good, perfect. Genesis 1 and 2 talks about uh, God saw that it was good a number of times, like each day with creation. And God saw that it was good. And he reaches the end of creation, and, and the word changes to very good. Creation was very good, and the relationship that, that Adam and Eve had with God was, was perfect. It was face-to-face. It was walking with God in the cool of the evening, speaking with him in a direct encounter, a direct way. What a, what a blessed experience that had to have been for them. And, and the relationship with one another between Adam and Eve was also good. And the relationship of those people to creation was also good. Like everything was, was just right, just the way that God had made it, the way he intended it. That is, until the garden was lost. And that happened because of temptation and sin. The serpent, Genesis chapter 3 describes, was more crafty than any of the other creatures. Still in the garden of God's creation, Adam and Eve turned to that tree that had the fruit on it, that God had instructed them not to eat, and yet they ate. And in that moment, everything changed. On our Sundays through the Lenten season, we've walked through the book of Romans, walked the Roman road. And Romans chapter 5, we reflected on a, a few weeks ago. And verse 12 says this, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So it was that moment in that garden of God's good creation, from the fruit on a tree, that everything changed. That sin and death and a separation from God and all of the consequences of sin that we still experience broke into God's good creation and and ruined it. We're not completely but certainly changed life as we experience it compared to what God had designed, what God had created. The relationship between God and people was separated. The relationship between people one to another was complicated. The relationship between people and creation was more difficult. There were curses announced in the garden, residual effects that we inherit. The relationship, the creation, all of it affected even by that first sin. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, were kicked out of the garden, forbidden to even stay in this place of God's good creation, this place that he had made especially for them. But that was an act of God's mercy, an act of his grace, because in that garden was the tree of life. And if Adam and Eve were to eat from the tree of life, they would live forever in their sin. They would live forever in this broken relationship between God and them, in this broken relationship between 
one to another between people in this brokenness of creation. They would live forever in that. And so God in his mercy barred the entrance to the garden. We inherit that sinful nature that they began. And other garden scenes have reminded us of our struggles, not with gardening, but our struggles with life. That we give in to sin as well, that because we're sinful in our nature, it becomes easy for us to give in to temptation. That we become jealous of other people, that we become self-serving in a lot of what we do, that our desires can easily overcome our will. And then even the good things we desire to do, like Paul talks about in, the, in Scripture, that that's the thing, those are the things we don't do. And the, and the evil that we don't want to do, those are the things we keep on doing. We struggle in this sinfulness. There's a cover of darkness over creation. And we have lived... We've lived in the dark. But God promised a savior. He promised that a seed would be planted. A different kind of seed. The promise was that the seed of a woman would come. One that would be bruised on the heel by the serpent, but he would crush the head of the serpent. That promise was made when Adam and Eve were still in the garden. That promise came to them when they were still just moments from that first sin. That promise was planted. And the rest of the biblical narrative really is describing how God was keeping that initial promise. The seed of the woman would come. Well, where would he come from? He would come from the line of God's people that we call Israel because of God's call to Adam that they would go, or sorry, Abraham, that they would go and inherit this land, this bounteous land that would grow food for them. A good, well, kind of garden flowing with milk and honey as it is described. And Jesus came to redeem us. Isaiah prophesied these words about the one who was to come. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. As the seed of the woman born of Mary, he came to accomplish those things. He came to redeem, to rescue us. That was his mission. That was his purpose. And in that mission and purpose, Jesus died for us. That's what we remembered on Friday. That's what we recognized just the night before last in a much different setting here. This cross, instead of being covered with flowers, was bare and raw. And the, and the wood that, well, it's, it's kind of an older cross, actually. And the... The good thing about it is you can almost see splinters looking at it. And it was shrouded in black, and the whole space had 
barely any color. And through our time of worship, the, the candles kept getting put out one by one. And the lights we dimmed as we went progressively through the service to recognize this, this darkness that seems to win. This darkness that seems to overcome Jesus. He died for us as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. So by his death, we are forgiven. The debt is paid. The burden is lifted. And he was buried in a garden tomb. In God's mercy, we wouldn't continue to be separated from God, dying and suffering. And so today, what we celebrate is that Jesus lives. Jesus lives. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. Just wanted to see if you're still listening. It was still dark. John 20, as that we've heard in our gospel reading today. John 20, as, as Mary is arriving at the tomb, it makes a point to say it's still dark. And I think that has two meanings. That it's very early in the morning, that first day of the week, as Mary is arriving at the tomb. And John makes a point to say it, is still, it was still dark. The darkness that had covered the earth ever since that first Sin was still pervasive. The darkness of Mary's mourning, along with the disciples and the people who loved and followed Jesus, that still was palpable to them. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what to find. They didn't anticipate the resurrection. Jesus had told them that he would be crucified. He told them that on the third day he would rise again. But in their grief and in their struggle and in all of that confusion that was happening, they didn't go looking for an empty tomb. They didn't have much reason to from a, just a, what made sense, right? Isaiah 9 says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Light has broken through because Christ is risen. He is not here, Luke 24, verse 6 says. He's not here, he has risen. The tomb is empty. So Mary goes and sees that the stone has been rolled away. And she goes back running from the garden tomb to tell the disciples. And there's this whole narrative of the foot race, which is a really kind of a curious thing. It's believed that John is the other disciple who outran Peter. And so is it an eyewitness um, fact? Because John has this recollection of how things went as he and Peter ran to the tomb. And, oh, and I got there first, is what he's saying. Or it was, it, was it somehow he wanted to give himself credit? We, we just really don't know his motivation to include this detail. But there are interesting details that John shares, that the linen cloths are lying there, but there was no body in the tomb. And then the detail, after Peter comes and, in his Peter fashion, 
doesn't slow down, probably just goes right in through the, through the entrance into the tomb. Bold Peter, who's ready to step forward no matter what's going on. Bold Peter, who had denied Jesus and was probably still in that grief and shame, went to see what's here. And then John enters, and the face cloth was folded and separate from the other linen cloth. A really interesting detail, an eyewitness kind of detail. You don't know that if you're not there, unless an eyewitness tells you. That's the kind of detail that, that dropped in there helps us to understand that John really saw these things, that he really saw the empty tomb, that he really saw this cloth was folded and over there separate from. And that disciple, who had outrun Peter, saw and believed. He saw and believed in Jesus in the resurrection, in the empty tomb. He believed in that moment all that they were starting to to understand, all that was unfolding before them. Well, the narrative goes on and relates how Mary mistook Jesus. She must have followed after the disciples and and arrived a a little while later. We don't know actually at at what point Peter and John... uh, leave, and Mary is there by herself, and she's still, though, struggling, not sure what has happened with Jesus, and mistakes him for the gardener. And then, verse 15, Jesus said to her, "Why, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. But then Jesus greets her by name, Mary. The gardener wouldn't have known her name. And was it the darkness of of the, was it still dark? And, And is that why she didn't recognize him? Was in his resurrection, was his appearance changed enough that she didn't initially see him and recognize him? Or was her face still downcast in her grief, in her struggle, in her love for Jesus that led her to this this period of just mourning and sadness and disbelief that someone would take his body from the tomb? And so she didn't even see what was right in front of her until she heard her name. Jesus greeted her by name. Your Savior, who won the victory over death and the grave, calls you by name too. In the water of baptism, you are called by name. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he calls you by name. He calls you to faith and to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And then in that resurrection, we can rejoice because he loves us beyond measure, because he paid the penalty for our sin. And so now we can rejoice because he lives, we will live. Revisiting Romans chapter 6 that we saw a few weeks ago as well. 
If we have been united with him in a death like his, and the Apostle Paul makes the point that in our baptism, we're buried with Jesus, we're crucified with Christ. So he says this, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is what makes Easter the pinnacle of our faith, the the high day of celebration, because Jesus lives, we will live. We have the assurance by the empty tomb that this garden scene, this garden scene overcomes all the rest, makes the, all the rest, it, it, they all pale in comparison to what we see at the empty tomb, that Jesus is risen. My family just did it. They just jumped in. He's risen in V. Maybe you did too. The fullness of what God had intended has happened. The promise has been kept. Sin has been overcome. Death is destroyed. But life still seems shrouded in darkness. We still live in this world of brokenness, of hardship, of death, of disease. It's why my family is alone this morning. It's just us in the building. These pews that would normally be filled with people who are united in this celebration are separated and scattered because we still live in this time that Jesus has won the victory over death and the grave, and it's not yet fully realized and complete in our experience. It is finished but it's not yet in our hands. It's not yet in our experience. One of the things that we do for Easter, and maybe you do this too, is have an Easter basket. And it's often filled with candy, treats, sometimes toys or other things. The Easter basket that the kids, um, primarily, but we get one too, um, what we have there gets filled with things and And the things that are for us, for the Easter basket, are not not put in the basket and made that day. They're already done. They're already, the, the sweetness of jelly beans exists from the time those jelly beans are made. But until you have the basket in your hand, You can't taste them. So they're finished, but you're not eating them yet. Make sense? Jesus' work on the cross is finished, but we don't have it yet. Still waiting. We're waiting till the garden will be restored. When hardships and suffering are over, We are living in a time when it's not yet what life was supposed to be. So we wait till the garden is restored. We look forward to that day. That's why we chose some words from Revelation 22 for our first reading for today. We look forward right now to life getting back to normal, right? I am. I'm looking forward to that time when when we can gather, when maybe people can go to work again in a regular kind of way. When we can go to events, we don't have to count people. 
or think about how far people are from one another. When you can go to the store and the only line is the line to check out. Now, I don't mind a little bit of personal bubble from time to time. That's okay. But I'm looking forward to when I don't have to pay quite as much attention. When we don't have fear or suspicion of surfaces or even other people. When we don't have this desire or you know, even need to, to put a mask on when we're going to go places. I've seen some interesting things that people are doing. I saw a guy riding a bicycle wearing a mask just a few days ago. And I thought, if, the, if you need to have a mask on when you're riding your bike, you need to have it on when you're in your house. But I'm looking forward to a day when that's behind us, when there's people in the pews. I'm, I missed your laughs. I miss the, the sounds of people in this room. I miss seeing faces here. I don't miss traffic. <laughs> I don't want to give up neighbors having time for one another and greeting one another in a way that we've witnessed in our neighborhood. Maybe you've seen this too. People saying hello to each other that may have just walked past one another. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give up people looking out for one another, making sure that people have the supplies that they need or food that they want. I don't want to give up neighbors saying to neighbors, hey, I'm running over to the store. Do you need anything? I don't want to give up the connections that we're finding are possible through technology and through um, the, the ways that we can stay connected even when we're separated. I don't want to give up some of the good things that have happened from this. But I want life to return to normal. More than that, we look forward to that day when life will return to God's design. Jesus is coming again. Our resurrected Savior, who ascended and is seated at the right hand of God, as we confessed in the creed, will come again with glory. We believe in the resurrection of the body. That's not Jesus' body on Easter. We do believe in that. <laughs> but the resurrection of the body that we confess in the creed is yours and mine because we are united with him in his death and we will be united with him in his resurrection so that we will be raised to life again. We look forward to that, to the description in Revelation 22 when the tree of life will be accessible once again when there'll be fruit on the tree yielding its harvest each month and the leaves on the trees for the healing of the nations, when night and darkness will be no more, when this pale of darkness that seems to hang over this created place in which we live will be gone forever. We look forward to that day. Our future is promised. The empty tomb of Easter guarantees that you and I will be raised and we will walk with God. We have hope. We have hope in this resurrected Jesus. Till the garden is restored, we can live in hope and we can walk by faith. Because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.